0: Hello, I'm Pastor Paul, an associate pastor at Living Word, and this is our podcast. I want to say thank you for joining us today. I know this message will minister to your spirit, and it will build your faith. I know God will move in your life because you are a doer of the Word. Enjoy today's message. Good evening, Living Word Church. Good to see you come out tonight. So last week, we started talking about faith, amen, and we asked ourselves, why am I a Christian? How many went home and thought about that? How many went home and made a change? How many went home and said, I need to go talk to somebody about coming to church on Wednesday nights? How many went and took something from what was taught last week and implemented it in your life? See, that's what's expected. That's what God wants us to do every time we get together. I try not to leave any Sunday services without going home and saying, Pastor said this, how does it change me? I want this word to change me. I want to do something. If it doesn't, not necessarily something to change me, sometimes he says something that says, I have to put some action to this. It means I'm going to have to put my money where my mouth is, right? Or put my hands or my actions to where the word is. It's time to do something with this word. What am I going to do with it? Am I a doer of the word and not just a hearer only? Because if I am, I have deceived myself, right? Right? So are we doing anything with the word? Because I can stand up here all night long. I have been in youth ministry. I have preached to two kids. I will preach to two people, even if it's my wife and one of my children. I'm guaranteed to have three in service at all times. More if I pull the older ones. doesn't matter how many people show up. I'm going to preach the word because it's burning on the inside and the Holy Spirit dropped in early this morning. I don't matter. I'm glad you're here. The Holy Spirit convicted and says, it's time to come to church. I'm glad you responded and showed up. That shows faith. That's what it shows. All right, say, I'm good ground. I'm good ground. Say it again, I'm good ground. And you're going to believe it one of these days. Now, we talked about faith being the substance, right? We talked about this last week. I always like to do a recap just for anybody that wasn't here or maybe didn't hear all of it. Or, you know, if you're a parent, you look to deal with the child, you look back up, you're like, what did he say? Oh, man, I <laughs> missed something. Maybe it was good. That happens. It's fine. I remember those days. It's all good. And We talked about I expressed the frustration. I heard it again this week, right? I can't wait till God gets everything back to normal. Oh, man. Faith is reaching into the unseen kingdom world and applying that to the natural seen world or bringing it into the seen world, right? We talked about we cannot expect faith to work in a world system. If we do things by the world's way of doing things, we can't expect faith To work applied to the world system. Because a lot of times faith, which is reaching into the unseen, is contrary to what we see. Sometimes, on a rare occasion, it might line up, but most of the time it's different. It's different, it's completely different. We talked about Isaiah 2:5, the house of Jacob. Walk in the light of the Lord. It talked about they were filled with their eastern ways. They've gotten too much world in them. Too much world's way of thinking in them. Too much world's way of, of doing things, too much selfishness too much rebellion, too much me and I. There's too much. There's too much, well, I don't want to go to church. I love the post. Pastor Josh, bold enough, put it out there. Love it. I don't want to go to church because I don't want to have to wear a mask. Well, all here is I. But they're going to make it spiritual. Well, the Bible says, Bible says, honor your pastor, <laughs> and submit to leadership. That's what most people have a lot of problems, I tell you right now, is submission. Choosing to submit. Submission is not something that leadership forces on me. Right? It's something I choose. It's choice. Right? I do not force my wife to submit. <laughs> Let's go there, huh? Right? Right? Jesus doesn't force me to be a Christian or force me to submit to the calling on my life. It's my choice. My choice. My choice. It's my choice to honor. It's my choice to submit. It's my choice to say, I'm going to be in church because I know that's where God has called me to be. And Scripture does not contradict itself. So if I'm using one Scripture to contradict another Scripture, then I'm in the wrong. Plain and simple plain and simple. I know it's a hard word. Some of us on the inside, I felt that way. I'm with you, sister. I felt that way. That's all she's doing. It's just vocalizing what some of us are thinking. Lord, help me. Now, we need to know the kingdom way. Matthew 7, 24. Hear these sayings of mine and does them. Why do you think I asked you? Did you do something? Did you do something with the word that was brought to you? With the word from the Lord that came last week or on Sunday. See, I'm going to tie tonight into Sunday because Sunday was awesome. Awesome. It was talking about kingdom and faith and authority. It was phenomenal. If you missed it, it's on Facebook. Go back and watch it. It was very, very, very good. Did we do anything with it? Did we do anything? Are you doing I'm not here just to pat you on the back and say, you know, well done. I'm here to challenge you to do something. We're not going to hear well done if we didn't do Come on now. Matthew 7.24, 24 hears these sayings of mine and does them. It's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. We were discovered that we had some shaky foundations so we started asking ourselves, why am I a Christian? Do I even know what being a Christian means? Why do I have the job I have? Is my natural world job producing the kingdom? Because it can be. It can be. Does your job produce the kingdom? Everything we do needs to produce the kingdom of God. Everything. Are my fin- Why are my finances the way they are? Have I put kingdom first in my finances? Is God the Lord of my checkbook? Right? Is He the Lord of my finances or not? It's a simple yes or no question. It is no discussion. It is no debate. It's yes or no. Why is my health the way it is? Is He the Lord of my health or not? See so, you now, I choose submission, right? So when he talks about fasting, am I going to choose submission there too? you love me? Right? Talk about people's food. Talk about people's money. We'll hit your kids in a minute. We'll get all the big three. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Look what's next in the list. Is your marriage the way it is? Because is your marriage producing the kingdom? If your marriage isn't producing the kingdom... Our marriage should be the closest representative on this earth to my relationship with Christ. If this isn't producing anything, this isn't producing anything. That's the way we should look at it. And not, I'm not talking about natural production of children because that happens. It's a natural representation of a spiritual principle. What I'm talking about, are we producing the kingdom through our unity and our commitment to serve Christ together? Because the you know, Bible says God is love. So when I say I love my wife, I'm saying I told this to her when we were dating. You know, it was one of those cheesy Christian pickup lines. Have you seen those cheesy Christian pickup lines? When I say I love you, I'm saying God is the glue that holds us together. I said those words. It worked. She married me. 19 years this summer. Right? Hasn't always been easy. Mostly me. I've got things. She's patient and kind and a lot like Jesus. Now, Why are my kids the way they are? Why do they act the way they do? Why are you raising your kids? What purpose are you raising your kids to do? If you're raising your kids, and we're going to go through this a lot next week because the youth are going to be over here with us for open worship, and and Ben is over there talking to them about stuff tonight that ties into this. Him and I had a great conversation. Are we raising our kids to think kingdom first, or are we saying, you must get some sort of education, you must put this first? Because if we're not raising them kingdom first, we're raising them out of order, and we're setting them up to fail. That's one thing that Tiff and I use as a coin phrase in our life. Are we setting each other up to fail? I don't like being set up to fail, where I feel like no matter what choice I make, I'm either I'm wrong, she's wrong, somebody's wrong, but the situation doesn't go anywhere, right? I don't like being set up to fail. I like being set up to succeed. But in the same sense, right, I like being set up to see, so does she. So why not set her up for success instead of setting her up in a lose-lose situation? So we use that coin phrase a lot in our life of, it doesn't matter what I do, I'm set up to fail. There is no out in this, Somebody's going to get hurt somewhere. And what do we do in default in that situation? We take the hit on ourselves, right? But somebody still didn't win. Anyway, I digress. Now... We talked a lot last week about getting rid of some of those things, and I hope that this conversation, I hope that this this message last week showed you any weak spots. Now, I'm not up here going, well, you have this weak spot, and you have that. I don't know the weak spots in your life, right? I don't go into your house and inspect your basement. I don't. It's a good thing. Amen, right? I don't want anybody to come into my basement, because as much as we've tried to keep the small storage space we have clean... It's not. You can't even get to the back of it. Why? Because we just went through Christmas, and there's still Christmas tubs, and we have such a small storage spot in this particular house with her business being in the garage that to put things away means to take everything out and then put most of it back. It just seems to just go a mess, right? But it's very easy just to kind of make sure it's good. Nothing catches on fire. Close the door and turn off light. (laughs) Telling on myself, right? But your basement, I'm sure, is perfect. Everything's on shelves. It's amazing. It's awesome but I don't want you to inspect in my basement. I'm not here to inspect your basement, right? But the Lord sees everything. And as funny as that is, and, I, and I, I have shared some weaknesses with you, and I shared a few things last week that were a little tender, right? Talked about my weight a little bit. It's one of those things where I want to show this to you as an example, not for you to say, oh, Pastor Paul, you know, I should text him in the morning and tell him to go to the gym. If you feel so led, go for it, but, but you don't have to. Because it's one of those things I'm I'm getting, you know, going to the gym, we're getting it worked out, it's going to be fine. But I'm not here to tell you this stuff so that you point it back. I'm here to show you that we're all in this together. Remember we talked about last week, when God starts fixing our foundation, we all stand together structurally supporting each other with words of encouragement and love so that we can each other fix foundations respectively without falling down. That's what I'm here for is to tell you, you got this. You got this. And if you feel like your house is crumbling, call in help. I'm not a basement man. I don't know how to rip the bricks out of a basement and pour a new one. If I have some serious things and know, will go, I'm going to call in a professional. And there are people in this church that are professionals that know how to come in, right? And they know how to confidentially help you fix something. Have you ever had someone come in your house and fix stuff in your house? The next thing you know, everybody in town knows what's in your house. That's so fun. They have a dirty closet in the basement that doesn't get cleaned out but about once a year right after Christmas time. Can you believe it? You don't want that. You don't want going, people going around town spreading what's going on in your house. That's your house. It's supposed to be your place of safety and security, right? The same sense too. When there's something going on, I know I can call Ed and Tammy Kendrick. They will come over and they will pray and they will show faith and not a soul around will know what's going on. And everything will look fine on the outside. Why? Because structural beams have come in to set structure and stability, that pillar that needs to happen so the foundation can be fixed and growth can continue to happen. That's what we're supposed to do for each other. I cannot emphasize that enough. So if last week you felt like someone was poking holes in broken bricks, we're not here to see bricks broken we're here to see your foundation become so secure that God can build anything out of your life that he wants to produce and do anything that he wants to do and it doesn't shake what's going on now we we've discovered we fix some foundation things But this week, I want to build something. I want to show you something God wants to produce out of your life. So to build, we tend to go to the foundation. We go to the beginning, right? We're going to start to produce something. So we have to kind of go back to the beginning a little bit. For me, the beginnings of faith is always in Hebrews. Love Hebrews. I love Hebrews. But before Hebrews 11 came Hebrews 10... And when he was writing Hebrews, he didn't stop and say, now it's chapter 11, you can start here if you need to, right? It was just a big, long letter, and so it all kind of goes together. But in Hebrews 10.32, he said, don't you remember? There is challenge number one tonight. Do you remember? How long ago did you get saved? Where did you Where did you start? Some of us are like, well, I was born on Saturday, church on Sunday, mom drove through the snow even when the building was closed, and we spent the night at Sherry Friedman's basement because we couldn't get home. That's how I grew up, okay? The true story happened. Drove through snowstorm, mom was white-knuckled on the panel wood panel station wagon that had the reverse seat in the back. You remember those days, right? And we just sat back there. I don't even think we had seat belts on or nothing because we were just going to, you know, we were going to church. That's where I learned what praying in tongues was. Because mom knew that if you prayed in tongues loud enough, the snow would move out of the way, I think, because it was loud and she was praying and we were going to church, right? That was that dedication growing up. I grew up in a house like that, but it had to reach a moment in time to where something clicked. Every child reaches that. Every child reaches that point where they realize, I either make this mine or I don't or I walk away. I walk away. For me, you could see the natural outward signs. It says here, Hebrews 10 through don't you remember the days right after the light shined in your heart? When you first had that revelation knowledge that he is king, that he is Lord, what he has done for you, that first bit of light that came in and changed the world. See, I struggled. I went through eighth grade twice, you know? First time around, just had a horrible attitude and said, why am I even here? You know, I didn't do anything. I think I had 32% in math. Still not sure how I pulled that one off. I'm not sure I can get so low. I, just wasn't, I didn't do anything. You know, multiple choice on test, just write down whatever. I shouldn't care. I had a horrible attitude. My parents, being the wonderful people that they were, made me go to my eighth grade graduation. They got me a seat in the front row to watch all my friends graduate. <laughs> I'll never forget that. I needed it. It was good. It was the right thing. Don't be, you know, it's not, oh, I can't believe your parents would do That was good. It was good. I needed that. And I thank them for it thoroughly, I really do, because by the time my freshman year high school rolled around, I made it through eighth grade and said, I'm never doing that again, you know. Pulled C's, enough to get by, D's and C's, graduated. Freshman year high school, we started coming back here to Living Word Church. We were actually down in Farmer City at the time going to church down there. We came back up here. Mike McGinnis came here, brand new youth pastor, and I found something that I was missing. So I was just miserable trying to find my way. I didn't realize what was going on at the time, but I got involved with Teen Mania and decided I'm going to go on a missions trip. I'm going to go on a missions trip, right? From the time I went on my first missions trip, my grades went from C's and D's to A's and B's after that summer, night and day. You can look at my transcription from freshman year to sophomore year, C's and D's to A's and B's, complete heart and attitude change, visible on the outside. But I remember when I was going on that missions trip, thinking I had to raise like thirty-five hundred dollars. This was in the '90s, so that means a lot of money right now. But it was, you know, a lot of money back then too. I think I was making five bucks an hour bagging groceries at the IGA. You know, I mean, it took a while. And I remember thinking to myself, it was a Wednesday night, and we I, we were serving up in the youth ministry uptown. I think is where we still were. It was in the building up on where the library is now. Where the library has gone, I think someone said. But uptown here. And Pastor, I don't know if it was Pastor Bob, someone in the church. I was about $1,800, $1,900 short to go on my missions trip, and I didn't think I was going to go. But I was serving over in youth ministry, and I was playing drums, and we had youth, and we did all this, and I go home, and I'm sitting on the back porch on the swing. We had a swing on the back porch, so we'd sit out there and pray. I would sit out there and pray. And my mom came in and said, "In in the main service tonight, someone mentioned the missions trip. And so they took up an offering, and this is the check from the church, and it was $50 more than I needed to the T. I had a little bit extra cash in my pocket for the plane ride down there. And it changed my life to realize somebody wants to invest in me at that level. Somebody thinks that I'm worthy of this. And so I went on that missions trip, and I saw things, and I saw miracles happen. I saw poverty like I've never seen before. I saw a child smile and go completely nuts over a yellow smiley face Walmart sticker. I saw churches sacrifice a month's worth of church. Can you imagine everything that came into Living Word Church for an entire month to pay for a meal for a missions group that came through? That's what it took for this church, their entire month's income to feed us one meal. And they did it with a smile on their face and joy in their heart. And it clicked for me. I want to serve Him. I want to give Him everything. That's when I first realized on those missions trips, I'm called to to ministry. I didn't know what it was. I timed youth ministry because it's what changed my life. And so I'm called youth ministry. That's why I went to Bible school for youth ministry. But But it clicked, right? And you would think you go on that missions trip, you came home, you got straight A's, and you're winning all your friends to Christ, and your whole high school's being changed, and, and you're going off to Bible school, and you're celebrating, and uh-uh. Because I apparently stopped reading that right after the light shined in your hearts. <clears throat> you endured a great marathon season of suffering hardships. <laughs> I see it now. But high school became miserable. I was picked on. I was made fun of. College, it was Rhema. It was hard. I almost didn't make it to my second year of Rhema if my parents and my dad not stepped in and said, okay, I'm going to bring some finances, but with this finances comes accountability, and this is what you're going to do with it. Right? I needed that. I needed that. When we send our Rhema kids from Living Word Church, we're not only sending them with finances saying, we're going to help cover your tuition, but we're going to bring some accountability to this. Because you need to get more than just your college paid for while you're there. There's something more. Something more. But it was hard. It was hard. I've told many, many stories about Raymond. I I could go on for hours about all the different challenges and things and leaps of faith. had picture day, I showed up. I didn't even have a coat. You're supposed to have a coat with a a shirt and tie. I didn't even own a suit coat. And the guy behind me took his coat off and gave it to me, and it matched. And I had my picture taken. And if I can find it in my yearbook to this day, we're wearing the same suit coat because it's, you know, I'm like, look, I got his suit coat on. I didn't even own one. Same people turned around paid two months' worth of my tuition. I mean, the Lord just paved a way, but it wasn't all easy. There was persecution. I endured hardships. I endured hardships even while at school, in, in Bible school, in high school, even after that, I endured hardships, yet I stood my ground. I stood my ground. And at times, you were publicly and shamefully mistreated, being persecuted for your faith. That happened in high school. Publicly and shamefully. It's the reason I didn't play football my senior year. Because my junior year of playing football, the, the football stars decided they didn't like me, and I, the locker room became a place of torment. And I hated it. Hated it. They just decided, you're a Christian, we don't like you. Not that I was a bad person or ever said anything wrong or even treated them wrong. They made my life miserable, miserable. I don't know that today you can do the old wet towel snap you. I went home with a welt a few times. It it was miserable. And yet I stood my ground. At times you were publicly, shamefully mistreated, being persecuted for for your faith. Then at other times you stood side by side with those who preached the message of hope. I remember going with Pastor Mike to the Casey's in Paxton to where a bunch of kids were standing over in front of the the hardware store next door. I don't even know what it's called, but we went over there. And within 20 minutes, he's got them holding hands, standing in the circle, leading them all to Christ. I remember taking our our youth band and, and, and playing revivals up in Fairbury and things being prophesied. I remember tremendous things coming up of youth ministry I remember standing side by side when God moved and I saw him move I remember being on missions trips when I saw people healed I saw a blind person regain their sight I saw a person that couldn't walk get up out of their chair and walk I saw tremendous things and had tremendous persecution at the same time and that's what he's saying here you sympathize with those in prison took me a second Because nowadays you think, oh, someone in prison, they messed up. They're in there. Oh, I suppose I can sympathize. He's not what he's talking about. He's talking about people that stood up for their faith and got thrown in jail. That's what he's talking about. You sympathize with those that stood up for their hardcore faith and got put in prison. And your belongings were confiscated you. And you accepted that violation with joy. If they were to come, take everything you own because of your Christianity. Will you accept that complication with joy? We might end up there convinced, convinced, convinced that you possess a treasure growing in heaven that can never be taken from you, convinced that you're storing up treasures in heaven, knowing that I'm supposed to go on this mission trip to touch these people's lives because they're going to infect people and they're going to reach people and they're going to reach people and my treasure is going to be laid up in heaven, convinced Don't lose your bold, courageous faith. That's what he calls it here. When you were persecuted and celebrated when things were taken from you and still chose to reach out to the lost and celebrate with those that are even being persecuted for their Christianity, he said that is faith, bold, courageous faith. Don't lose it. But see, we have to forget that feeling when you didn't feel worthy and God paved a way for you to do what he wanted you to do. We can't forget that. We can't walk away from the fact that God used you to touch teenagers' lives by by playing at this thing up in Fairbury that we went to when we saw miracles happen. You can't forget that feeling of nervousness and excitement as you lead an entire circle of teenagers to Christ. Lead them to Him. You can't forget that feeling. You can't forget knowing that you're laying up treasures in heaven. See, I remember those things. But I don't think often about what the persecution was like. Because it doesn't really matter. I don't care what's taken from me. They can have it. It's stuff. Am I changing the world For his kingdom? Am I producing the kingdom? Am I laying up treasures in heaven? Now, don't lose your bold, courageous faith, for you are destined for a great reward. You will need strength of endurance to reveal the poetry of God's will, and then you will receive the promise in full. For a soon and very soon, the one who is appearing will come out, come without delay. Verse 38: He also says, My righteous ones will live from my faith. But if fear holds them back, my soul is not content with them. But we are certainly not those that hold back by fear and perish. We are among those that have faith and experience true life. True life. What is true life? What is he saying here? Live by faith and true life? That's storing up treasures in heaven. That's producing kingdom principles in this world. But what is the purpose of reaching into heaven, accessing heaven's way and bringing it to this earth is to win the lost, is to bring more people to heaven. It's the only thing that we can take with us and store up in heaven is the treasure of God's people. That's what we take with us. That's what's stored up in heaven. That's why we access the resources and the kingdom things going on in heaven and bring them from the thing we cannot see into the world we can see to produce more treasure In heaven. That's our purpose. That's our purpose. Why do you think God wants miracles and great things to happen in the church today? Because what better flag to say Jesus loves you than he's willing to heal you and make you whole? Whether it be a natural deformity or depression. What a wave of depression we've seen in 2020, and the suicide rates and everything else. People are torn up on the inside when they need to know you're worthy. You're important. God cares about you enough that He's going to provide a way for you. He wants to produce the kingdom in your life. Now, here's the warning for tonight fear. Fear will hold you back. Now, remember in the Old Testament where the Bible says, Fear not. I was reading in 1 Kings 17, 13, Elijah said unto her, this is, this is the story of Elijah goes to the lady and says, you know, make, make me some bread before you guys, you know, die. Because she's like, well, I was going to make some bread, eat it and die, you know. <laughs> He's like, okay, well, me first. That story most people have a problem with. They have a problem with it, but he says here, fear not. And I have a digital Bible, and in my digital Bible is a digital note, so if you have a a, paper Bible, you can write it in the margin. But I put down something Pastor Doug said. It wasn't this year, it wasn't last year, it's been a few years. Pastor said, fear tolerated is faith contaminated. I pulled that up when I was reading this story going, oh my goodness, that is so much true. If you allow fear to stay when it shows up in your life, it will contaminate and ruin your faith and your ability to produce the kingdom. See, if she would have come to that point and gone, I can't make anything for you. I've got to make something for him. We're going to die. Something's going to go wrong. If she would allow fear to come in, it would have contaminated her faith and she would not have seen the miracle. She wouldn't have seen it. He said, fear not. Go and do as you have said But make me thereof a little cake first and bring it to me. He's saying, let's do something the kingdom way, not the world's way. The world's way says, well, there's nothing left. We're going to make a cake and we're going to die. It's time to walk away. Right? God says, put me first. Put me first. Put me first. Seek ye first the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you? often wonder sometimes. I I wish it was there when Jesus preached it, right? Because I read text messages from friends and from people, and you read that, and you're going, I wonder what they really meant. Have you had one of those text messages, you're like, wow, that's mean. Then you're talking to the person later like, why did you say that? And they're like, that's not what I meant. I didn't mean that. I meant this, right? Sometimes I say, Lord, what did you mean when you said this? What did you mean, Right? Because I, I can hear it in my head where he's saying, seek first the kingdom and this, these things will be added unto you. Like, I can't believe you're focused on this stuff. Really? Come on. These things, you didn't even name them. These things, they're not important. Seek the kingdom, right? That's how I see it in my head. Now, whether that actually happened or not, I don't know. But that's how it goes through my head is Jesus trying to get us across this, this point of, hello, the kingdom is what's important. Not the things, now, how many people read that scripture going, seek first the kingdom and all these things? Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for the things. And they got it all backwards. Now, for thus saith the Lord of God of Israel: A barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the curse of oil fail, and the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord send rains upon the earth. What did she do? She listened to the message. She said that is a really good message, Pastor. Pastor Elijah, that was a phenomenal message, and I'm going to go home and. We'll think about that and we'll, we'll just check this out and we'll see Wednesday. It's going to be a great message Wednesday. I'm looking forward to that. I'll be there Wednesday night and then we'll see Sunday and, you know, right? She says, amen, Pastor. And then she went home and she sent Elijah an email saying, this was, this was really good. This is a really good sermon. Thank you for that. You know, that's what a lot of Christians do. No, she went and She did. She did. She didn't allow fear to hold her back and ruin her faith. She immediately did. She put action to the seed that was planted in her life, and she saw the kingdom being produced. See, the natural world says you can't take a crucible of oil and pour, and it just keep pouring until it rains. What kind of craziness are you talking about? There's a limited capacity of liquid that can fit in that, right? And then they start getting in their head, and this is what can pour out, and that's the maximum it can contain because they get in this natural world's way of doing things instead of tapping into the kingdom's way of doing things that says, if that's what I said it's going to be, that's what's going to be, and it was. And she believed and tapped into the unseen. Where do you think the oil was coming from? They couldn't see it. It looked like a natural crucible. They tapped into the unseen and brought it into the seen. Faith is the substance of things not seen, the evidence of things, right, Basically, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I got that mixed up a little bit. But you got, the un- you got the purpose of what I was saying. We tap into the unseen to bring it into this real world to produce the kingdom, to produce the kingdom. Now, living by faith will produce endurance in your life. You have to have some stick Is that a word? stick I'm going to sell it. We're going with it. Don't ask the English teacher in the back. We're going with stick Sounds really good. James 1, 2, my brother, count it all joy. Woo! We're going to have joy. Hallelujah. Joy comes in the morning when you have temptations and various trials. Why should I count it joy? Because the testing of my faith gives me the ability to not stand in fear, but to stand in faith, produce patience, steadfast endurance, and let it have its perfect work so that I can be complete, perfect, and lack nothing. Complete, perfect, and lack nothing. You say, I have lack in my life, right? My back hurts. My wallet hurts. This hurts. That hurts. Are you complete and perfect, wanting nothing? It comes through the working of your faith through patience and endurance and stick I like it. We're going with it. Now, it says in verse 5, right after being perfect, complete, lacking nothing, if any of you lacks wisdom, how many of you felt that way? God, I don't know what to do in this situation. This 2021, 2020 seems to have continued on. I'm not sure what to do in this situation. Things don't seem to be getting any better, but they appear to be getting worse. What do I do? If you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives all liberty liberally without reproach, it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith. Okay. Let him ask in faith. A lot of times that just a lot of people have taken that and translated it. I'm going to come God and say, God, I need wisdom. And I'm I'm standing in faith knowing that you give. Right, I'm standing in faith because the word says, stand in faith and you're going to give me wisdom and you're going to show me Get it? You're going to show me what it takes to do this. When God's saying, wait a minute, what's faith? What's faith? Faith is not God coming to you and putting head knowledge in your head. Faith says, I'm going to reach into the unseen and grab the wisdom of the unseen and bring that wisdom into that which is seen, right? We want kingdom wisdom. Kingdom wisdom says, pour that crucible and oil will continue to flow for as long as it needs to to provide for your family, Kingdom wisdom says, I'm going to miraculously fill your gas tank like D. Kroner had. Kingdom wisdom says, I'm going to heal your body when the natural doctors say, there's no way you should never recover. Kingdom wisdom says, I'm going to bless what's the seed of your hand. Kingdom wisdom says, give to God your finances first, and then you'll have more. See, kingdom wisdom and natural wisdom aren't the same. And we cannot come to faith, come to God in faith expecting head knowledge. We need to come to Him using our faith to access kingdom knowledge and apply that in this world, and we will see the miraculous results that we're looking for. Let Him ask in faith with no doubting. Now, for a long time, I I wondered about this. And today, when I was praying, the Lord woke me up early this morning. I was sitting downstairs. He took me right to this Scripture, and He said, don't doubt. And I said, okay, I don't know what that means, (laughs) Lord, you and I have gone rounds. We've, we've talked about this, and I love this Scripture, and it's really good, but you're going to have to show me what this means. If you want me to teach this tonight, I want you to show me what this means. And he said, Doubting, double-minded man, unstable in all his ways, meaning I'm trying to operate in the natural wisdom and the spiritual wisdom at the same time. And then work. Am I going to do it God's way, or am I going to do it man's way? But how many Christians live their life in a perpetual state of doubt, trying to do some things God way, but not making Him true Lord of our life and giving everything over to Him. But God, I got this. I'm going to operate in man's wisdom here and God's wisdom here. And we experience this roller coaster of Christianity as we go back and forth, struggling to stay in faith, struggling to figure things out, Struggling to operate in the kingdom because we refuse to let go of man's way of thinking and to fully with two hands hold on to what God has for us. That's a double-minded man. That's what doubting in your heart means. See, someone who doubts is not willing to let go of something here to have both hands on what's over here. I'm going to try to hold on to both because I'm unsure. I'm in doubt. See, if she was in doubt going well, maybe I'm going to hold on to a little bit of oil and then we'll see what happens. She would have never seen the miracle. Well, I'm going to make this cake and I'm going to give you half of it. Instead of feeding you first, I'll give you half. I'll give you a little bit, right? When God's saying, I want it all. I want your heart. I want your love. I want everything. But see, so many people look at it and say, I can't believe what the prophet wanted to take from her instead of looking at it and seeing, what did God give her? What a god her? What a god her? All they see is how can you take from someone who has nothing, when all I see is God wants to bless someone with everything. Now, we have to choose kingdom authority. When we go back to the Scripture in Matthew when He says, build your house on the rock, that entire sermon is Him showing us that kingdom ways are higher than natural man's ways. That's His way of pointing out the difference. When he went in there and he said, sin is a heart issue, you say that if you've cheated on your wife and slept with this woman that you've committed adultery. I say that if you've lusted in your heart, you've committed adultery. He's showing us God's way is higher than our way. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. It's time to live by kingdom standards, not by the world's standards. The world says you can do this, this, and this legally and we will not send you to jail. God says, "Mm -mm, this is my way over here. Now, are you wanting to live by kingdom way or wanting to just get by by man's way? That'll be the forever choice. The forever choice. You have liberties. Pastors taught on this before. You have liberties in this world. You can go out tomorrow and smoke a cigarette. You can go get drunk. You can drink. You can do all this stuff. Perfectly legal. If you choose to drink and drive, you'll end up in jail if you get caught. But which set of standards are you choosing to live by because which set of results are you going to tap into the world's way of doing things and the world's kingdom and manman and the world's system? Or do you want to tap into kingdom system, God's way of doing things, His way of blessing? It's choice. And He showed us this, that sin was a heart issue in Matthew 5, 21 to 32. Then He showed us in Matthew 5, 33 to 37, it's time to put our words to work for us. Then I saw Jesse DePlanis post online today, "Don't, don't speak out your failure before it shows up. Something along those lines, I don't remember exactly. Don't speak your failure before it's even here. Most people are doing that. They're speaking out their failure before they ever even fail. They're producing their own kingdom from their words. He says you shouldn't swear by anything. Just speak the truth and mean what you say. Don't have empty words. We talked about this. Do you have empty words? Are your words full of faith? What are your words saying? Because you can stand in church and proclaim the gospel and then go home and gripe and complain and moan and groan, right? Empty, useless words will war against your faith. Kingdom ways tend to clash with the world's ways, Matthew 5.38 God expects us to go beyond what is expected of us. He wants us to choose something. See, He doesn't force things on us. He's a gentleman. He doesn't force you to come to Him. He doesn't force you to make Him Lord. He doesn't force you to make Him Savior. He gives you a choice. You can, you know, here's life, here's death. I recommend you choose life. How many have looked at your kids like that? Here's life, here's death. I recommend you choose life. Best of luck. Hope you do all right, you know. It's not exactly that dramatic, but sometimes it feels that way, right, when you're dealing with your kids. I recommend you do this. But as we learn from parenting teenagers, the moment you step in and say, you're going to choose life, we take away their ability to make Him Lord. See, I want to teach my kids putting Jesus first in your life and making him Lord of your life is something you choose every day. Paul said, I die daily to my flesh, my desires, my way of doing things. And I live to his desires, his kingdom, and his way of doing things. That's what I'm doing. I choose to die daily. And I want to teach my kids that choice is a daily choice. It's a daily choice, it's something you choose every day. Then he says, Love your enemies. He's saying the world says if they've done you wrong, you seek justice. And he's saying love those that have cursed you and love those that have despitefully used you. He's saying kingdom way of thinking is not the same as the world's way of thinking. He says if there's someone that has done you wrong, you know, they take your coat, give them your shirt. It's not the same, but you won't get the same results either. He says, do good to please God, not to please men because selfishness has started to creep in the church back there and they wanted to be the one down front praying the loudest because they wanted everybody to see them. He says, pray the right way, not for your own glory, but for his glory. And then he says, fasting is a kingdom lifestyle. It keeps you aligned. It keeps you aligned. Why? Because it gets rid of selfishness in our life. Me, 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 me. He said, treasure isn't found here in this world. It's stored up in heaven. Storing up your treasure on this earth is the world's way of doing things. Storing up treasure in heaven is the kingdom way of doing things. Where is your treasure? Because where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Then he says, your eye, which is your mind, attention, focus, and knowing, determines the level of light in your life. What are you looking at? What are you looking at? I told this to parents many years through youth ministry. They were dealing with things with their children, and I said, well, I'm preaching to them for 30 minutes every Wednesday night, so I will take responsibility of 30 minutes. What does that boil down to? Like an eighth of a percent of their week. What are you doing with the rest? What are you doing with the rest? Because I'm just going to bring my kid and set him in youth ministry and hope that 30 minutes to an hour fixes him, but then the rest of the week I'm not going to do anything about it or enforce anything with it, right? Requires nothing of me. I'm just going to do whatever. I'm just going to... The best thing anybody ever told me before we had kids was that you will do 90% of the discipline before they are five years old. Before they're five years old. But how many times do we see teenagers that don't listen, right, disrespect their parents? I mean, you go out in public these days and you're abhorred by the number of stuff that you see. But then you decide you, you, that same, same school of thinking, I'm abhorred when I'm sitting, you know, not our church family. You guys are great and you're raising your kids awesome and you are good ground. Say, I'm good ground. Okay, a little bit quieter that time. But that's all right. You'll get it, and you'll say it, and you'll believe it, and you'll confess it. You are good ground. But I remember sitting in a house in a situation to where the the parents are yelling, don't touch that. Don't touch that. What's the kid do? They touch it. What's mom and dad do? I said don't touch that. You yelling across the room does nothing if you're not going to physically get up and go over and prevent them from doing something, then all you're teaching them is is when they're 16 and you say, don't do that, you might get hurt. They're gonna do it because they know you're gonna do nothing, right? My mom had wooden spoons tucked in every orifice of the house and car and within three seconds, a spoon would be in her hand and on my butt. But I learned when mom said, don't, I didn't. I didn't. And what a valuable life lesson you're thinking. You spanked your children? Yes, I spanked my children. But I didn't 90% of the spankings before they were five years old. How many times have I had to spank them beyond five? Not many. Not many. Because we train them when they're small, listen but it also requires something of us. We have to get up and do something with it. We need to enforce it and show them there's something beyond this. There's, there's, I'm going to get up and you're going to get a response out of me, right? The counting thing. I refuse to do the counting thing. And if you did the counting in your house, that's totally fine. But I refuse to sit there and go, one, what are they going to do? They're going to wait till two and three quarters because it's what you've trained them to. They know how far away they children push <laughs> I think it was Pastor Doug that 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 told this this years ago. But when you hear somebody else saying, Your children are angels, and you're thinking, Really? They're, they're pushing every boundary, it's good. Your kids are supposed to push the boundaries at home. They're learning. They're learning, and you're teaching them this is the boundary. This is where to stop. Because when they go to someone else's house, they know that's the boundary. Mom and dad's not here, but I know. I can hear my mom's voice in my head, just like I've said before, like the voice of the Holy Spirit. Don't do that. Yes, mom. Right? That's the way it's supposed to be. Get up and do something about it. But see, how many people parent like they Christian? Is that a verb? I Christian. Okay. We'll go with it. We're just going a lot of things tonight. you understand what I mean. They parent like they live out their Christianity. They might say a whole lot, but they don't get up and do anything. Are you willing to walk it out? You guys are. You're here. Amen. You can reach, look to your neighbor, say, you're good ground. You came Wednesday night. You're good ground. That's why I'm telling you, you're good ground. But you're here because you're supposed to take something with us and you're supposed to teach someone. You're supposed to do something with it. And when you see something for yourself, just take it. Nobody knows. We're all pillars standing with you as things are getting fixed. He says you can't serve two, God, two masters. He tells us again, you can't be in the kingdom's way and the world's way at the same time. You can't serve both God and Mammon. The war, you can't serve the kingdom's way of doing things and the world's way of doing things. It will rip you apart. And then he says something that I wish I could just really get grounded in everyone this year. Don't worry. You need to remember that this year. Don't worry. I've had debates and discussions with people, not in this church, mostly at work. It's a mom's right to worry about her children. That's the world's way of doing things. And you'll get the world's results. You'll get the world's results. My mom, as long as she knew where you were, you called mom on the phone. We didn't have cell phones back then, called mom on the phone. Right, Once I turned 18, and I'm an adult, mom didn't care. It didn't matter what time we got home. Mom just want to know where you were. I'm going to Steve's house tonight. I'll be home later on. Mom's okay. How do I know my mom wasn't worrying? Because when I got home, she was asleep. <laughs> she wasn't up pacing. She wasn't up concerned, thinking I was in the ditch somewhere. She was asleep. Don't worry. Worry is selfish. Think of it that way. Maybe that'll help some of us. Worry is selfish. Worry is saying, my actions are going to do more than what God can do. Put yourself above Him. In in chapter 6, verse 25, He says, is life not more than food and the body not more than clothing? Why are you worried about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear? In verse 30, now, if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will He not clothe you? And then you know what He does? He hits them between the highs. You that are worrying have little faith, O ye of little faith. And only a handful of times did He say, I have not seen such great faith. Centurion wasn't worrying. He didn't even want him to come all the way to his house. He just said, say the word, it'll be done. There was no worry in that man. But we sit back and worry. Oh, I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe they're dead. Something's wrong. Oh, Oh, ye of little faith. Then he says, don't judge. Don't judge. You know, my Christian Interpretation 2021 version of that is if you're sitting in church and you hear the pastor say, this needs to change, and you think, oh, my neighbor needs to hear that, and they're just sitting right down this side. did you hear that, right? Look down at Lori, my mother-in-law, she needs to hear that. I could say that because she's family, we like to joke around a little bit. Did you hear that, Lori? You need to hear that. I want to say it was pastor. It might not have been. I, I'm not 100% sure. Someone years ago said this. If you're sitting in your chair thinking, I wish my neighbor heard this, then it was actually for you. It's for you. If you ever think, oh, I want my spouse. She needs to hear this, walking in love, submitting to her husband. If I'm thinking she needs to hear it, then there's something wrong in here and I need to change this. That's what I read when I see drunk judge. And then he says, ask, seek. Knock, the, you know, ask, seek, knock. The kingdom things are there for us, for the taking. He is a rewarder of those that ask, seek, and knock. He wants to give good gifts to his kids. He said, how much more will your Father in heaven want to pour out blessings? He wants you to have the blessings of heaven. He wants you to live in faith and not in worry. He wants you to have the good and not the bad. He wants you to produce the kingdom and not be stuck in the rat's race of this world's way of doing things. He wants you to live by faith because without it, you can't please Him. Faith says, I'm choosing to live by the kingdom's way of doing things. Then He says, you'll know them by their fruit. That's what He was showing us here too. That's a kingdom way of doing things. What's their fruit? What's being produced out of their life? Because many will come to Him and say, Lord, Lord, I did this in Your name. I did that in Your name. I did this in Your name. And He says, depart from Me. I don't know You. What's their fruit? The kingdom way requires knowing Him, that intimate relationship with Him. And when we build our life on these things, when we choose to the, the kingdom way, we're building a house on a rock that the waves of this world, the persecutions of this world, when this world falls apart, our house will stand like a beacon, like a lighthouse in the night, and people will be able to see it because everything else will be crumbled. And they'll go, I want to know what's different there. I want to know what's different. Why isn't Living Word Church crumbled and falling apart? People are still going there in droves. What's going on there? All these churches have closed their doors. Nobody wants to be in ministry anymore and living where church is producing pastors and sending them all over the world in the United States to witness to people. What's going on there? I want to see what's going on. We're a light in this world. We are a beacon set on a hill. That's what he's called. He called us to produce for the kingdom, to store up our treasures in heaven. Father, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for this world. We choose faith to reach into the unseen and bring it into this, this here, Father, this world, the scene, so that we can produce treasure in heaven, so that we can take people with us. Because your heart's cry is for people that are hurting, that are lost, that just need your love and your touch. Father, use us. Use us to reach into heaven's realm and to grab the very tools necessary to produce your kingdom on this world. Father, we stand in faith right now, not for us, not for things. We stand in faith for the kingdom, for the kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. We put our faith on spiritual things to see miracles, to see healings, to see waves of revival, to hear new songs pouring out of the worship team, to hear new things coming out of this church, Father. Greater things shall you do when I go to my Father in heaven. We want to see the greater things, Father, the greater things of the unseen, of the kingdom produced through living word church, Father. Thank you for allowing us to have a part in this. We choose to do. We choose to do and not to sit back. We choose to take action. Thank you, Father, for that. We love you. We make you Lord of our life, and we put you first in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. A special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. It's because of you that ministry at Living Word Church is possible. You can get more information on our website at go2lwc.org, You can also give online as well. If you enjoyed today's podcast, you can subscribe. You can share it with your friends. You can take a screenshot and post it to your social stories. You know what? You can even share it in person with someone who needs encouragement from God's Word today. Thanks again for listening. And as always, you're welcome to join us in person where we will worship together and God will minister directly to you. Be blessed this week and be a doer of his word.